Well, hello, Northland family. It's great to be with you today. I hope that you and your family are doing well today in good health. Man, we are living in interesting times right now, are we not? And uh, it seems just like a few days ago, a few weeks ago, actually, that I was out here on this stage preaching the first sermon of 2020. In fact, if you remember, I walked out, I had these awesome uh, 2020 glasses on. That's one of my finer pastoral moments, I will say. And uh, I bet now that we all wish these already said 2021. In fact, I don't know about you, but I have already several times tried to hit the reset button on 2020. I mean, it was just 10 or 11 weeks ago that we were, our biggest problems were the fact that there was a recall on romaine lettuce. And also we were running around trying to find baby Yoda products to give people to, for Christmas. And uh, man, how the times have changed. And we find ourselves today in different circumstances. But hey, even in this time of quarantine, there have been some things that have, uh, that have risen to the top, some positive things. And I want to point out one of those things is uh, the fact that we will now know at the end when this is all said and done, we will know who America's number one hero is and they will be hoisted on the shoulders of all parents and that is your kids' school teachers. That's right. Last weekend, we ended spring break for all of Central Florida, and all of Central Florida became a one big, gigantic homeschool classroom. And uh, parents are scrambling. This is the first time for many of them in that situation. And I just want to give kudos to all the parents out there who are doing this for the very first time. Hang in there. God bless you. Uh, it's going to be okay. I heard from some of those parents, and I uh, just wanted to, to give you maybe a couple of comments that I that I heard back. Uh, one parent told me that they were saying the Lord's Prayer every day, on the hour, every hour, and that's how they were getting through the new school day for them. I heard that uh, one parent say that there's been a lot of AP laundry and uh, honors vacuuming going on in this first week. Uh, and then also there was this phone call that came in from one of our parents. So, you know, students already have a, an incredible uh, creative way to connect with one another. And we've tried to match that here in student ministry. And one parent called and said, is it true that my son is going to meet his small group leader in Minecraft on his Xbox? And I said, yes, ma'am, that is true. He is telling you the truth. That is where they are meeting for their small group today. And uh, just, a, just a real challenging time, but uh, also props to all of our adult and uh, college leaders in our student ministry who are finding creative ways, and all of you, uh, leaders and small group leaders that are finding creative ways to meet during these quarantine times. It's going to work out. We're all going to be okay in the end. Um, but uh, wanna, uh, just as we begin this morning, we want to continue, and I, wanna, I want my goal today is for this to be as normal of a day as possible for us. And so I'm going to continue in our Awaken series. As we see and in, in, want to review what, uh, what Pastor Matt has done, a great job of setting us up already uh, in this series, explaining the theme of the Gospel of John. I want to review these seven miracles. The first one is, is he turned water into wine in John chapter 2. The second, he healed the official son. We see that in John 4. And then he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5. And then there was followed by the feeding of the 5,000, which it was recorded 5,000 men, but we know that that crowd was probably more like 10,000. And then the fifth one is walking, the walking on water by Jesus. But he also called Peter to walk on water as well that day, as Peter, I guess, was the undercard of the, the bigger miracle that day. 
And then he healed the man that was born blind, saying that it wasn't his fault, it wasn't the sin of him or his parents, he was just born that way, and Jesus healed him. And that brings us to where we are this morning, continuing in the series, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. One of the most spectacular earthly miracles in Jesus' ministry also would be his last. Now, other than his own personal resurrection, I mean, this is, this is it. Uh, This story is not just a big picture, but it's also very personal. In one sense, Jesus will have all of these, these, this crowd together, all of these people, all of these witnesses to watch him perform this miracle. But it's also, it's also very personal. It's for the disciples. It's for those 12 alone. As we've unpacked this theme of, of the gospel of John in this awakening series, I want to start, I want to lead us into an opening question this morning. And that is, As we look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this. It says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In fact, in the next chapter in John 21, it says, if all of and everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did was written inside of one book, all the books in the world could not contain it. Isn't that amazing to think about that we only have a glimpse of the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did and the miracles that he performed. Continues in verse 31, it says, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the question, why did Jesus do all of these miracles? Why did he perform all of these miracles? It was so that he could validate who he was, so that people would know that he was who he said he was, and so that man could find life in the name of Jesus. And today we come to this last miracle. And here's the question Jesus said in in chapter 11 of John in verses 25 and 26, he says this, he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, do you believe this? And this miracle, this miracle is a reflection of the statement that Jesus made. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this. He did this earlier when he says, I am the bread of life. And then he does something about it. He goes on and he feeds thousands of people. And then a little bit later, he says, I am the light of the world. And then he gives sight to a blind man so the blind man can see for the first time the light of Jesus. It's a reflection of the statement that he has made. And he does the same thing today. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes out and proves it. And we'll we'll start a little bit further back. We'll look in verse three. And verse three, we know that Mary and Martha are are stressed about where Lazarus is right now in his life. Jesus has an incredible relationship with these three people. Lazarus has fallen ill. Martha and Mary waste no time in getting to the solution. They don't call people, they don't Google it, they don't go to WebMD, they know who has the power to heal Lazarus. And so they immediately go to Jesus on that day. And so they get word to Jesus, but Jesus says this, he says, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Death is so final for us, isn't it? It seems that way by the world's view. This past fall, I had to bury my parents so close together and that and now walking through their house and packing things up 
putting them in boxes, getting ready to, to send off and get out of there for whatever is next phase. The, death can seem final. And if I'm not careful, if I let the enemy get a foothold in my life, in my mind, in my heart, I can go to dark places very fast. Because the, the world thinks that death is the final. The world thinks that the grave is the final resting place. The world says that death is it, that that's the end of the story. And Jesus, Jesus is trying to tell these disciples and he's, he's sharing with Martha and with Mary that death is not the final part and the end of the story. In fact, death is only part of the story. And the disciples are in earshot of what he is saying here and they're not fully understanding what's happening yet. We see in verse 5, Jesus is telling his disciples this. And, he, and in verse 6, he says, So when he, hear, when he heard that, that Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days longer in place where he was. Now, why would he do that? Why would he stay two days longer? I mean, I mean Lazarus is sick. He's dying. Jesus knows this. He's only about two days away. And with a brisk pace, he could be there by the end of today. He could go and he could take care of his friend Lazarus. And he could minister to Martha and to Mary. And I get this question a lot. If Jesus is so loving, if Jesus is so caring, then why? Why did he wait? And, and I think the answer is this. I think that there was something greater about what was about to happen. There was something greater about this miracle that no one there could see except for Jesus. The truth is, is that Lazarus was already going to be dead. It tells us that in verse 17. It says that, that he's already going to be dead. And so even if Jesus left at that moment, Lazarus would have already been dead. And this extra time, it's, you know, maybe some say if Jesus just shows up after one day, people might say that Lazarus wasn't all the way dead, that maybe he was only partly dead, you know, kind of only dead, like in a princess bride kind of way. Maybe Lazarus was just in a coma. Maybe Jesus got there in that first 24 to 36 hours and, and Jesus just woke him up out of a coma. And so this extra time would allow word to get out. I mean, four days in, in the grave, there would be no doubt in anyone's mind. And that extra time would allow word to get out, not only in Bethany, but to surrounding areas and all of Jerusalem and Judea. And, and word would get out and people would travel to see this miracle. You can see in early tradition, it was... It, it, it was uh, not uncommon for weddings and funerals to be day-long events. And people would come from all around and celebrate with those families. Or in the case of a funeral, they would mourn with these families. It was a day-long event. And, and that would allow extra, extra time for people to come. And, and they would spend the entire day standing alongside the family as they grieved. Mourning alongside the family in front of the grave of their loved one. That extra time would also allow the crowd to get bigger more witnesses to see this incredible miracle that Jesus is about to perform. I mean, Lazarus has been dead for four days. The family has been mourning for four days. Witnesses from all over about to come and see what Jesus is up to. And Jesus gets ready to go to Bethany. And Jesus may be going alone to Bethany because the disciples might have something to say about them going back to a place where they just came from. Look at verse 7. He says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Listen, the disciples are relieved to be away from that place. 
They're, they've already crossed the Jordan. They're in the Transjordan area and they're, they're excited to be there away from that, that, that hot spot where they were persecuted, where they were chased out of town. And the thought of Jesus saying, I want to go back there now, brings fear to them. I mean, immediately their mind goes to the persecution, to the imprisonment, the, the thought of even death. And they become afraid. And they start to have dialogue with Jesus. Because let's make, let's, let's make this, uh, we know there's 100% fact that Jerusalem holds the enemies of Jesus. And they weren't okay going back there. And like any of us, we would be afraid too. Would you become a missionary if God made it absolutely clear that that's what he wanted you to do today? I mean, I'm talking, he's already laid it out. He's already made it crystal clear for you. Would you go and you'd be a, a missionary if God asked you to do that today? I, I would hope to th and, and think that I would say yes. And I think that most of you would probably do the same. But what if he put a condition on it? What if he said, hey, I want you sitting on your couch right now. I want you to go to Syria. I want you watching this on your computer right now. I want you to go to Afghanistan with the gospel. Rob, I want you to go into Iraq today with the gospel. Would you still go? Man, I, I, I would hope that my answer would still be yes. And for many of you, I, I'm sure it probably would too. But there would probably be some dialogue. I would probably say yes, but God, am, is it going to be okay? Am I going to be all right? Is this the right thing to do? God, God can, I, can, we just, can I pray about this? There would be dialogue because you and I, like these disciples, would have fear going into this. And this is what's happening. Jesus sees the need to do a miracle here for the sake of these disciples, for the sake of these 12s, because what he's doing, he is raising them to walk in a new life. He is raising them to walk into dark places with the gospel of light. Speaking of the term light, in, earlier in, in, this, in this gospel in chapter 8, Jesus uses the term light, light of the world, he says. He's saying, if I call you in to do something, I will be with you. You and I are in that same place that as we are called by God to walk into dark places with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will be with us for he is the light of the world. Lazarus falls into a, a sleep, as it, it is said. Jesus has a different view of death, as, as even his language is different than what the disciples are used to here. Jesus isn't afraid of, of death. In fact, he sees death as a time of sleep, and he uses the term sleep there. It's a different view than you and I have. It's a view, different view than the world has. There's no finality to it. Jesus sees that this is just, just part of the story. Even to the point in John 14, a little bit later, Jesus starts to talk about him leaving and the disciples start to freak out a little bit. They start to get really nervous. I, I think of when Paul was writing to uh, the church in, in Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, this is how, talking about the order of things, he says, then comes the end, then will come the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, and when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. You see, Jesus knows what's going to happen after death. And you and I, because of his word, you and I can know what's going to happen after death. Because here, here's the way that this, the rest of this story goes, as you very well know. So Jesus and the disciples, they make their way to Bethany. They make their way to the front door of Lazarus' grave. 
Jesus steps up to the grave and he faces his number one enemy, which is what? Death. And all these people are going to be watching this miracle, which he, the savior of the world, is going to step up and he is going to defeat what? Death. And so Jesus commands that that stone be rolled away and someone rolls it away, even to the objection of Martha who said, Lord, there's going to be an odor. In fact, your New King James Version probably says, he is going to stinketh. And that version is absolutely correct. There will be an odor. But Jesus steps into that, that moment. He steps into uh, the exact moment of facing death, his number one enemy. Now we can take a comedic view of this. And we can say that Jesus had to use the name Lazarus. He had to call Lazarus out by name because if he just said dead man come out of the grave, it was a multi-compartment uh, grave that Lazarus had been buried in, that everybody would start coming out. It would look at a scene from the walking dead. But I think, honestly, I think what actually happened there, I think Jesus used the name Lazarus and he calls it out. It says he uses a loud voice to call out the name of Lazarus because everybody had traveled for some days, some hours, because they heard that Jesus was going to be at the doorstep of Lazarus' grave and no one wanted to miss it. And so witnesses from all over came to see what was going to happen. And he wanted to, everyone to know that the man called Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, was who he was calling out of that grave. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out of that grave. And the Bible says that he comes out and he's, he is completely bound. He is wrapped up by hand. He is wrapped up in his, at his feet. His face is covered, and Jesus says, take those things off of him. Now, we don't know how Lazarus came out, if he kind of came out and was just kind of walking, you know, like this, and he's, he's bound. The Bible says that he is bound, so he comes out. Maybe he's hopping out of the grave. I don't know. We don't know that for sure. But here's what we do know, is that once someone unwrapped him, he was free. The grave clothes had come off. He was unbound. He was free in Jesus Christ. Northland, I want to ask you a question this morning. As we are going through these uncertain times, as we're going through this pandemic, the world is watching how you and I as Christ followers, how we respond in these moments. And it would be easy for us to cave in. It would be easy for us first to, go to, to, to live in our fear. But the world is watching. And they're wanting to, get to see. They're wanting to see if we are going to run with the freedom of Christ through this? If we're going to lean upon the power of Jesus through this, or are we going to look like we have just met and walk out of this building and walk out of our homes facing this uncertainty with our grave clothes still binding us? We have been called to run. We have been raised to run in the freedom of Christ, in the power of Jesus' name. And we should face these uncertainties. We should face this pandemic. We should face our heartaches, our troubles and our fears with the power of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible goes on to tell us that it was, it was the crowd that witnessed this this day. It was many of these people who saw what happened, that they on that day believed in Jesus. Many of them, the Bible says, were some of the ones who rushed to be ahead of him during the triumphal entry. How appropriate is that as next week is Palm Sunday. Yes, this miracle was much bigger than for Martha and for Mary. Just for those disciples. This was for everyone to see that he has power to conquer death. I think the other thing that Jesus wants us to see there is, or that John wants us to see 
in this gospel is the power here. Verses 25 and 26, I'll read them again. It says, Jesus saying to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And it's a question about, it's a question about faith. Do you believe this, Martha? And it doesn't end with Martha when Jesus makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, are you okay with that? Martha, does that make you feel better? Does that encourage you, Martha? He doesn't say any of those things. What he says is, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, the requirement here is belief. Do you believe this? It's a question about faith. This isn't the belief that we saw earlier in chapter 8 where the Pharisees said they started to believe or they sort of believed in Jesus, that he was starting to become this mystical character. He's sort of a prophet. Oh, I'm starting to favor Jesus, so I'm starting to believe. No, it's not that. This is, this, the word belief here means trust. It means conviction. It's the same word used in Hebrews 11.1 1 that says, uh, the scripture says, they have faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. And what Jesus is saying here is, Martha, do you trust me? Do you believe this? Do you have conviction? Mary, do you see this? Do you have conviction that I am who I say that I am? In the early 1850s, a man by the name of Charles Blondine, he was a tightrope walker. And he performed his first act in the early 1850s, crossing Niagara Falls. And he did so blindfolded, he did so with people on his back. He did it on stilts. He even stopped one time and, and cooked an omelet halfway across and ate it. He did it on a unicycle, back and forth. And all the time, he's, he's gathering these large crowds of people. And they're cheering him on, saying, go, you can do it. Go, you can do it. And so one day, he, he gets ready to perform this, this tightrope walk. And he gets a wheelbarrow out. And he starts out across that 1,300 foot long rope, two inches in diameter. And he starts to take that wheelbarrow across. And he starts to walk out and then he backs up and he says to the crowd who's gathered below, he says, do you believe I can do this? And the crowd of course cheers, yeah, we believe that you can do this. And he says, you get in. You get in. See what Jesus is saying to Martha and Mary and everybody that is, that is in earshot of this in this moment. There's a difference between belief and conviction. And he's saying, Martha, this is, this is it. Do you believe this? It, it, it's, it's an act of faith. It's not anything that you and I do for Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's nothing that you and I can do. It's so that we can't boast about it. In other words, I can't do anything towards it. This is a gift from God. It is a gift of faith. It is a gift that stirs our heart. It's something that causes us life transaction. And, and it causes us to transform. It transforms our action. It transforms our spirit. It transforms my mind and my heart. It's that kind of faith. It's conviction. 
And in this moment, Jesus is asking Martha, in this time of trouble, will you, will you get in and let me take it? Mary, will you get in and let me take you in this moment? Northland, he's asking us today, will you get in and let me take you across in this moment? And we have to respond with conviction. We have to respond with trust, belief in our hearts. Later in verse 27, we know that Martha did come to that type of faith. She says, I believe that you are the Christ. How about you this morning? How about you today? Do you believe that? Do you believe in the power of Jesus' name? Let's pray. Father, we are in interesting times. And we come before you on this day asking for your hand of strength, asking for you to be a place that we can find refuge in, find trust in. And God, we, we come to these moments with so much uncertainty around us, declaring on this day that yes, you are Lord of our lives and with convictions our lives will show it. That the world looking at us and how we respond to this crisis, oh God, May we be faithful in representing you and who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'd like to enter into a time of communion right now. What a special time that you and I get to experience this with our families. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go right now and I'm going to join my family and have communion with them together.